Welcome to Tax and Super Australia's podcast, Tax Wrap, where we share developments, news and insights for all tax practitioners and SMSF professionals. If you like what you hear, please rate us on iTunes and share. We'd love to hear back from you, so send questions and comments, even suggestions for guest speakers, to podcast at taxandsuperaustralia.com.au. Welcome to the Tax Wrap Podcast, episode 184. I'm Steve Burnham, bringing you the second Tax Wrap episode of 2019. Welcome. Um, and I just thought I'd mention it on the outset, and I'll perhaps try to remember to mention it at the end as well, that we do have a schedule of tax discussion groups in place for the year. It's already set there, and um, to find out more about the tax discussion groups, which are a valuable venue to talk to um, you know, like-minded people and uh, share your knowledge, uh, go to our website, and after the, uh, you know, taxandsuperaustralia.com.au, if you type in a slash and then type in the words discussion groups and a hash, hit return and that'll take you to the, um, the page that has all the details of our discussion groups, the tax and super discussion groups. Uh, they're all there for the whole year, so go and have a look. Now, um, part of the benefits of being a member of Tax and Super Australia is that you get to have helpline calls. Um, long-time listeners might recall that I've had a chat to our tax technical um, team before about what's come through on the telephone calls and uh, the sort of problems and interesting discussions that happen um, via that and so I just thought that we'd sort of launch into a, a look at what's been um, what, what people have been calling in about now I should have I probably have neglected to read a disclaimer in the past and I'm, I try not to bore you with this too many times but look I better do it for this instance anyway uh, here's the disclaimer. Our discussion is general in nature and is not tax advice. No person should act on the basis of any points raised in this discussion without first obtaining and following the advice of a suitably qualified professional advisor. Tax and Super Australia, as well as the participants in this discussion, will not be liable for any loss or damage sustained as a result of relying on the information provided. There you go. That's one of those... Uh, uh, sounds like a political ad, doesn't it? Anyway. <laughs> Um, I am joined today by the Head of Tax Technical of Tax and Super Australia, Michael McCarthy, who's been on the show before. Hi, Michael. Hi, Steve. How are you going? That's good. I'm good. I'm good. Now, you're going to just going to run through some of the um, topics that have come down the line, are you? I am. Yep. We'll run through a few of those, yep. Steve. And just before I do, I just want to um, confirm from a previous podcast oh, last yep. year, it was on commercial debt forgiveness. I remember, yep. Yep. And with that one, I just wanted to confirm that... Um, in it, there was where there's a debt that's forgiven, um, and we explained that's not taxable within itself. However, right. there's a, a bit of a process to go through where the forgiven amount um, is applied against well, four sets of um, different assets or losses. Oh, right. And in, in the podcast, we mentioned that um, you can choose the different, different brackets that you offset uh, the net gain. Right. Oh, the forgiven amount. And I just wanted to confirm, it's actually not a choice um, with the four. So like the first one's deductible revenue losses. Yep. The next one's deductible carry forward capital losses. The next one's deductible expenditure such as depreciable assets. Right. And the next one's the cost base of certain CGT assets. Right. So with a commercial debt forgiven, you apply the uh, amount uh, forgiven in the order against those we've just mentioned. In, the, in that order, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I believe there was a Q&A, wasn't there, on debt forgiveness in a recent, or was it the latest taxpayer magazine? Um, there, there was. There was one on commercial 
debt forgiveness. Yes, because I just had Morella uh, mentioning that just before we came in. Okay, actually, it must be in the current issue, I believe. But anyway, it's um, yes. No, it is out there. So it, we've it yeah, that, that one is out there. Okay. Um, and uh, I don't know whether that mentions those four elements that you just mentioned then. And, and it may do in that. So right. yeah, that'll confirm that. Yeah. Um, okay. I think one of the, the confusion is that you can choose within the group. Yep. So like, let's say if you're reducing the. Uh, uh, capital gains tax assets, you can, mm. you can choose within the group of those assets which ones you're reducing. Right. But as far as um, um, applying against the net amount forgiven, you follow that one, two, three, four. Okay. Fine. Well, I'm glad you cleared that up. I mean, that was for, I think that was late last year, so it's relatively fresh in our minds. Yep. Anyway, so what else has been coming through? Now, look, a couple that I've uh, noted down, and they, they seem to do with family members helping out other family members. Okay, yeah. So I just thought, oh, that's nice. a, yeah. yes, that's a nice thing to do. Um, and it'd be nice if there was no tax implications. Oh, oh, but there is, is there? But there is. So, oh. yes, yeah, so I thought I'll just touch on a couple and uh, one, one's, one's, one's okay. The other one's probably got a bit of an, an adverse tax effect to uh, be okay. concerned about. Yep. But the first one was um, grandparents buying shares for grandkids. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Nice thing, thing to yeah, do yeah. with their money. They put the name in the account and they put it in where the, the um, grandparent's name is uh, on the account yep. with, like you might see sometimes in brackets, with the, with the grandchild. The okay. Yeah. Yep. And it can be parent and child. or yep. So it's like on account. Right. Um, held in trust. Right, right. And then the question the member had is, Okay, now that's been happening for quite a while. Now the child turns 18 and I oh. suppose can put their hand out and say, okay, transfer that, that's those. That's mine. Yeah, that's mine. Yeah, I see. Yeah, yep. so I suppose legally they can do that. Yep. Um, the, when those sort of things happen, there's a, there's a possible CGT event E5. Ah, right. And that's what we, we looked at with that one. Beneficiary becoming entitled to a trust asset. So we're saying it's, it's held in trust. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, with the timing when the beneficiary becomes absolutely entitled to that asset, so when they reach 18. Right. Um, and, that, and that can and trigger events in trust, but with the situation of the grandparents, right. the, we looked at, there was a section 106.50 which talks about absolutely entitled beneficiaries. Right. And when we looked at that, and I'll just, I have it here in front of me, so I'll grab it out. It, it's got here that absolutely entitled beneficiaries, um, for the purpose of that section, uh, it's from just after the time you become absolutely enti entitled to a CGT asset mm -hmm. as against the trustee. The trust, now you think that'd be when they turn 18, mm -hmm. yeah. but in brackets it's got disregarding any legal disability. Okay. So what, the asset is, is treated as being your asset yep. instead of being the asset of the trust. So what's it, what it's saying is that the shares, if you disregard any legal disability, being underage, so oh, okay, they're okay. under a legal so, disability yep. that way, um, if you disregard that and when grandparents hold or, or parents hold the shares um, in trust for the child, yep. it's near like a, a bare trust, I suppose, where the child really is the only person entitled to those shares, yeah, yeah. albeit they may not be handed over until they're 18, or right. they can be handed over any time, but the, but the, the, that that section 106.50 is giving the go-ahead to say that um, no, there's not a CGT event when the child turns 18, oh. because they're absolutely entitled to them from, 
from me anyway. Day one. Right. So, okay. yeah, because sometimes, you know, members or listeners might have struck where a capital gains tax event E5 does apply, right. where it might be a discretionary trust where you can, somebody becomes but a title possession. But there's in there, so you, you can decide which way it goes. But if it's, if it's like in this situation where a grandparent buys for a grandchild, there's only one beneficiary, and who, the beneficiary is, also, of course, entitled to that benefit. So you're saying there's no CGT event? No CGT event at that time. Ah, OK. Yeah, so that's... that's and so that's a good thing, yeah. Because they, their concern was there was um, CGT, and when you read that section, you nearly, you know, when we read it, we thought, well, nearly, well, there is, but it's just that in brackets, disregarding the uh, any legal disability, oh, which okay. is for so that minors. Makes that makes a difference. Oh. There was a um, sometimes when you look at things, you think, oh, well, that's that's the reading of it, but we we got a um, private ruling we looked up. Oh, really? Yep. And uh, look, I've, a lot of figures the private rulings, but I'll read them out just okay, to give you... Okay, just get your pen ready. Yeah, private binding ruling 105-141-611-8976. And that was a similar situation with a parent held on account for the child. So it's important too that it's set up right too, that it's held yep. on account, that they're oh, both, okay. yep. you know, both names are on it. And that was an off-market transfer because the child was no longer a minor. Right. And, uh, and and that was the result that uh, the commissioner came up with and said, no, there's no CGT event here, there, um, no change in beneficial ownership. Okay, okay. Yep. So that's how that one worked out. So yep. that was uh, no tax No tax, no shock there. So there. The, I like it when things work out that way and they're, they're a sensible outcome. Uh, yeah, because yeah. Of course, they're entitled to the benefit from day one, as you said, even though they're not... 18 yet, but they are entitled. So yes, yeah, the way it was set up on account and yep. held in trust. And the um, look, the only thing I mentioned with when I we refer to private rulings, yep. um, it's nice to find one that ties in with your situation. Oh, of course, but uh, they're binding really only on that taxpayer. Oh, of course, but it's um, a similar situation. But the closer, the better. Yes, when yes. the circumstances that match it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I suppose they give the commissioner's view, so there, mm. there's a bit of comfort that that's how it's, uh, mm. it mm. plays out. Yeah, that's true. Okay. And you had another one which didn't work out so well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I suppose <laughs> it didn't work. Out. Look, it is what it is sometimes. But mm. this is uh, this was another example of a family member helping another family member. Right. Okay. And this is you know these are situations where um, you might have children, uh, or sorry, parents moving in with children and they enter into a formal arrangement like okay. a right to reside oh okay like, um, like as in moving into a granny flat or something like that moving into a granny flat yep. okay yep. so this is the generations it's reversed that's the younger ones helping the older generation yes instead of buying them shares okay so okay if kids yes. let the parent move in with them yep. yes yes and so look this is mentioned this is a member um rang about this last year and i think he was ringing more he, his understanding of the air company was more questioning it, I suppose, questioning the results. Oh, right. And the reason it's topical is last year, late last year, the government has asked the Board of Tax to undertake a, and that's actually what you're saying, actually, granny flats, to undertake a review of the tax treatments of granny flats. Okay. So yep. there's a bit of tax lurking there that the government's obviously saying to the Board of Tax, have a look at this and yep. Uh, yep. recommend any potential changes. Okay, yeah. So, because uh, you know, the whole granny fat phenomenon is perhaps it's a growing element 
that we've got to consider out there. I'd imagine there'd be a lot of granny flats there's across one, the country. Yeah, there's one out there uh, in our neighbour's backyard there oh, that we look at now. So, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. So it's um, yeah, and they they are they're they're, they're popping. Actually, having right. said that, when we moved into our place many years ago, I think it was an arrangement where the granny flat. Um, was there, okay. but it had to be removed. Oh, um, yep. uh, was that from the previous owner? So yeah. So with um, with that, they've said that under current tax law, a homeowner may have to pay capital gains tax where there's a formal agreement for a family member to reside in their home. Right. So an example: when an older parent lives with their child, um, either in the same dwelling or a separately constructed dwelling, so like right. a, like a granny flat. Yeah. So the board of tax is going to look into that, and we did do a an article on that that's going into the taxpayer. Oh, okay, good. Okay, so that's yeah. coming up, is it? That and that's okay. coming up. But what, what's this? I mean, do you know what the Board of Tax has come up with yet? Uh, no, they've just been asked. Like That was last November. Right. I think they were asked to look into it, right. and I think what's happening is they're going to look into it early this year. Okay. Um, they do the consultation, so they might send out a submission. Yeah. Um, and it's got here. The final report is likely to be issued in the second half of this year. Of 2019. Of 2019. Okay. So, Do you have any more particulars on the, this particular case? Though? Yeah, so on, on this, what, what this was, so this is a situation of, I'll summarise it to say that uh, purchase of a new house yep. in the name, uh, say in the name of the son. Yep. Both had houses, so the parent had a house, son had a house, they sold and bought one. Oh, okay. Um, the parent made a contribution to the new home okay yep but wasn't put on the title so not on right. the title so really i suppose saying we'll pay a contribution and yep. the arrangement is uh parent can live there for the for, for the rest of their run down the clock in time the sort of thing so, okay. yeah so nice thing to do yep. um parent has a lifetime right to reside in the property under a formal agreement okay so they put this, this in writing Yep. Okay. Put in right, and that could be to you know create certainty, and who yeah, knows, yes. family situations change, yeah, exactly. and it might be yeah. like mum's got a spot here, yeah, and here's uh, here's the document he's, he's that says to it. Prove it. Yeah. So um, now, but when that happens, then we will look at does a CGT event happen ah, okay. to that? So, uh, and we talk about CGT event D one. D one. Right. D one. Now that relates Which to. Is- um, yeah, you're creating contractual or other rights. So, oh, yeah. Okay. Um, and the creating of, the, of a right is a CGT event. A right includes a right to reside in a property for life or a term of years. So, right. so as okay. I said, you, know, you can live in here for 10 years. Um, and it's granted other than a mere family situation. So like somebody might say, or just a loose arrangement. Yeah. So I suppose the key is that it's, you know, in this case, it's entered under a formal agreement. Okay, yep. The reference, and we've used this a couple of times, but it covers a lot of things, tax ruling 2006-14. Mm-hmm. You know, it covers life, tenancies and wills and covers a lot of things, but also seems to cover this situation as, right. as well. Look, the ruling talks about, you know, what is a, you know, a, res- a right to reside in a property. You know, it's not equivalent, it's not a legal right. And, uh, equitable life interest it's just a it's a personal right it can't yep. be assigned or anything like that okay um but it does say cgt event d1 in section 10435 happens when the right is granted okay so when when they give them the right to live in the granny flat that cgt event d1 happens just then can right? happen can yeah you? depending on the um facts of each case okay but it, yeah it, 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 it can happen yeah. 
Um, and as I say, that's different to, you know, come on, mum, move in and, uh, you yeah, know, yeah. an informal arrangement. Informal, that's like. right. So when you've got it all written down. And yeah. what, what is, um, what, what eventuates? So what happens there is it, it ends up that we're looking at, let's say, the, the sun in this case. Yeah. And we could say CGT event D1 happens when that right is granted. Now, what happens then with the sun? So we say, okay, and I'm refer to the ruling here, there's like para, para 107 in the ruling says, the capital proceeds the grantor receives from the CGT event mm -hmm. includes the amount of money and the market value of any property received or entitled to receive in respect to the event happening. Hmm. So it's just if there's if there's um, funds paid for that agreement, yep. Yep. I suppose that's where you've got the um, CGT event issue. Mm -hmm. Now, it goes on to say that the grantor received no capital proceeds from CGT event D1. Right. The grantor, and that's the son, has yep. so, not taken or received capital proceeds equal to a market value. They talk about market value in tax as if things are done between family members, they, um, uh, and that's not considered to be market value, the tax man oh. can deem a market okay. value. Para 109 goes on to say that if there are some capital proceeds and the grantor and the party in whom the right has been created don't deal with each other at arm's length, yeah. then the grantor will be taken or receive market value market of value. the right okay. rather than the actual money paid, so if it's less than what so they that's when the ATO may step in and say, well, actually, this is the value we're going to assign to this yes. transaction. Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, so then, then you sort of say, oh, well, okay, what is, the right, what is the market value of a lifetime to reside ah, in yeah, the dwelling? That's true. You know, what is it? Because, yeah. um, and there's a you know, paragraph 1010 goes on to say, well, that just that depends on a number of factors like life expectancy, uh -huh. you know, if you have a right to reside and yeah. Yeah. You know, 40 years old is different probably <laughs> value to if you're... 90 years old, or right. so that, that sort of, um, you know, the, the location of the dwelling and, you know, all those things. Um, and, of course, with market value, it's they, you know, talk about a willing but not anxious buyer and that sort of uh, yeah. uh, or, or sort of situation. So it does get a little bit complicated. But does it require an actuary to be called upon, or how do they work that out? Uh, well, look, market, market value, I suppose, is the onus is on the taxpayer to prove market. Uh, value. There's guidance. The tax office have guidance on how you can do it. Or, right. um, but, but yeah, this is sort of a bit different to what's the market value of a of that property, property. Yeah, yeah. of a share. Of a, yeah, it's uh, so yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit vague that mm. one. Mm. But it's like once you determine that there's a capital gains tax event, I suppose then you've got to determine what's the consideration. What's, it's exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, um, how was this resolved? Well, look, in this case, we went through it. I think the, the member that rang was a financial tax advisor, so he was sort of oh, interested yeah. in the field, you know, yep. in, the, in the area himself. And he, he um, we ended up going through it and saying, well, okay, there's a consideration, yep. but then you'd like to think, you know, is there anything that you can whittle that down with the cost? Okay, you yeah. Know, like, and yeah. so one question came up, uh, is the acquisition cost of the property, is that a... Hmm. Cost to offset the cost consideration. Base. Yeah, the consideration. Yeah, consideration. Yeah. Um, and the answer to that was no. Right. <laughs> the main resident ex exemption um, 
Oh, w- won't apply. Right. Uh, I think it's said here as well, can the acquisition cost of the property be treated as incidental cost to mm. increase the cost base? The main resident exemption, there was a, there was a no for that with para 113. Okay. Um, because it's to do with a right and not the property. That's, that's, that's what you said that in the beginning, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. so there was sort of, you know, as we looked into it, there sort of wasn't great news for the, um, for the, the sun in this yeah, case. There yeah. was like, oh, gee, there's a, there's a CGT event triggering yeah. here. Yeah. Um, position of the parent, well, you know, it's a bit without going through the whole lot, but, you know, they've got a right too that has a cost. Hmm. But funny enough, there is a main residence exemption for the parent. Oh, okay. Like, like it ties in as a main residence exemption. Para 119 says a licence or right to occupy a dwelling yep. constitutes an ownership interest in a dwelling for the ah, purposes of go. the main residence exemption. Right, right. So really there's no problem with the parent moving in. No, no. But the, just, just confirming, get back to the, um, just with the, the son, yep. and this will explain it a bit better, the Para 113 indicates any capital gain or loss the grantor might make from granting a right to occupy a dwelling, which at the time of the grant was their main residence, cannot be disregarded. Um, And there's a a section 118110 para 2, because that lists the CGT events which are relevant for the purpose of the main residence exemption, but D1's not on it. Ah. So it lists a lot of different ones, but it doesn't list D1. Okay. So who knows, that might be something there. That's changes they might add it in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, exactly. yeah, so that's that was the situation. Um, so it really wasn't great news for the son in that situation. No, no. Our member's client, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, and, but as I say, I raise it because it's obviously an issue because the border tax are looking into it. And yeah, saying, yeah, and as I say, it's probably more common than you think. Uh, yeah, yeah. Parents and kids good on them looking after their elderly yeah. parents, but uh, gee, you've got to, uh, yeah. factor in that there may be things that you didn't yeah. expect like yeah. capital gains yeah and look I will just go back to that like when you say with the grantor they'll receive no capital proceeds um, from CGT event D1 yeah. uh, or they're not taken to have received market value if they've received no capital proceeds so it will depend on the facts of each case oh, so a situation where you enter into a legal agreement yeah. and there's money changing hands yeah yeah um that could be something where this d1 could rear okay. its head it sounds like when it's quite casual it's just like car coming with us and yeah don't worry about that yeah. you'd have to sign anything that it's all just in the family yeah. and therefore less of an, of an issue yeah. to my untrained ears well like. he did ask that question it was one of his uh, last questions was yeah. it, when would the capital gain not be realized in similar situations and yeah. para 105 mentions in mere informal family arrangements okay. it's not not applicable okay. and as i say going back um to that paragraph 108 if the grantor receives no capital proceeds right. they're not taken to have received market yeah, value yeah yeah that makes sense that begs the question if they receive ten dollars of proceeds oh, well. all of a sudden they've got <laughs> the market <laughs> value rules yeah. so you know it's that's but the good thing is it seems to be that's having a bit of a look at yeah, by the, the powers so, so yeah, yeah. Fair, fair enough Okay, well, Michael, we've probably got time for another um, one more helpline topic, if, if you've got another one there. Look, yeah, look, we had a, a call yesterday that just seemed topical. Okay. Um, and it's Div 7A, and I think Div 7A comes up a lot yeah, yeah. in helpline calls. And, yeah. Um, well, it's confusing, and especially because it's changed a foot. Yeah, so what happened with this one, we had a situation where a member 
Um, look, she took over a, a, a trust for, uh, a number of years ago right. from another account, and I think you know, some accountants probably will say, oh, yep, that's you, you inherit maybe some issues yeah. with Div 7A that you think, oh, how will we uh, tackle this? Right. So she had, um, uh, I suppose, the unpaid present entitlements in the uh, balance sheet of the company okay. that yep. she was a bit concerned about. And, uh, yeah, the question was, oh, this is, uh, what will we do here? Mm. Um, and it was, um, she was concerned there was a bit of tax pending, but she also did say the company did have franking credits available. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are hit with Div 7A, it can be a nasty one where you're paying tax on amounts right. with no tax nothing behind credit, it, nothing behind yeah. it sort yeah. of thing. So she just had some queries on that and so we tried to give some guidance on maybe where she could go and it was topical because just recently, and this has been in the taxpayer and I think we've had a webinar on the changes in Div 7A. Yes, yes, that's right. So we felt like she was caught in the middle. It was like, we felt like she, there's changes coming but they're not here yet. Yep, yep. And they're coming maybe on 1st of July if they're passed. Yep, yep. Um, so, you know, today's today. Today's today, and so, she, she can't wait for these things to happen, I'd imagine. Yeah, well, she's just looking at... She was putting it all together, mm. and, uh, yeah, so uh, in an awkward situation, I suppose. So in that, um, there was one thing that comes up. There's a section 109RB, yep. and that's a commissioner's discretion to uh, take it that a deemed dividend hasn't occurred. Ah, okay. So yeah. that was something she was looking into. Um, on our, our annual book, like the tax... Tax summary. Pays book. Yep. And there is, a, on page 298, there's some there's some good guidance on that. I've just opened it up here. Um, and it talks about the commissioner's discretion and situations where there's a chance that they'll come back and say, oh, no, look, it's okay if you're... We're not. This won't trigger Div 7A? This won't, yeah, okay. as long as you may be doing certain things like trying to fix it up, okay. you know, from what's happened historically sort of thing. Yep. So um, it does have to be uh, an honest mistake and an inadvertent error. Wow. Um, there's some guidance in a tax ruling 2010-8 and also a, pra- a practice P- PSLA 2011-29 wow. and they give guidance on the factors that exist or that the commissioner would like to see um, if he applies his discretion Um, and one of those is that they can um, allow the dividend to be franked a frank dividend as well so not only can they disregard the deemed dividend that arises under div 7a but they can also allow the private company to frank the dividend okay and in her case she did have substantial franking credit so that was um no certainty in this world, but that's something she was looking at yep. to see maybe if she could maybe put it uh, on foot as best she could with uh, interest and yep. on a commercial footing maybe and go to the, the credits and yeah and go to the um, commissioner under that one hundred nine RB and yep. request um, that if it is a dividend it's uh, or request maybe it's not a deemed dividend if yep. it is it's got uh, um, allow some. F- the franking credits attached to take the hit off paying the tax off. on it. And th- this was to provide the distribution to 
the beneficiary on, I'm assuming. Yeah, this was a trusted distributor to the company. But, but, okay, but, but I get it. Yeah, okay. but hadn't yeah. paid the entitlement, and no, that's no. right, you can do no. certain, you know, follow the guidelines. Yep. Um, but because she'd inherited the, the job from elsewhere, yep. it had nothing on foot, it was just sitting there as a, a deb- debit loan in the balance sheet oh, that okay. she was going to be concerned about. Yep. What, what, look, why we just brought it up was under 109RB, you've got to go and apply for the, the Commissioner's discretion. Yeah. Um, from 1st of July 19, if it's passed, all the changes are passed, one of the things is that there's a self-correcting mechanism in oh, the proposed yeah, yeah. changes. Yep. So that's sort of something that would have helped her today, maybe right. to, yeah, yeah. Um, without having to go to the Commissioner and maybe find out no bring bring their attention to their attention so um Mm. yeah and look we just on that we also mentioned time limits for amendments sometimes they can um even though even though there's an adjustment required sometimes you can be out of time to make adjustments so like if a div 7a problem occurred uh six years ago or something oh, like right. four year it or two year time limits there's yeah there's still issues having it there but the actual year it, it happened yeah um might be out of time it to amend right, okay. yeah one of the one of the proposed changes is that those um amendments for div 7a uh be extended to 14 years <laughs> so okay, i don't know why 14 but still. yeah and I, and I think the 14 was with the um well, in the article here we've got from the December taxpayer, it's nearly like they're proposing that all the Div 7A loans be 10 years. That's right, that's right. And I suppose 10... 725 or 7 or 7. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. they're making it. And uh, I think the uh, the author here... Um, Ken Mansell. Ken, Ken, yeah, probably Ken, has, and, and has said that, you know, 10 years in the four-year amendment... Oh, there you go. ...time that's is 14. the 14. <laughs> so, um, and just on the amendments, we... You know, even though they're four years, sometimes if you're a small business, they might be two years. And if you're an individual mm. with a, uh, trust distributions that are from small business entities, you know, rather than the four years, it may be a two-year amendment okay. period. Yeah. So yeah. that was just sort of a topical thing with the yeah. Yeah. the existing rules and the proposed new rules, yeah. and yeah. somebody may be caught just in the. Just, and we've got the election level. coming up, so we don't know which government's going to be doing this legislation, passing all this stuff, and um, but anyway, it's, it's all a bit of a scramble. All right. Um, okay, well, Michael, thanks. That's actually two very enlightening, or three very enlightening cases, and it's amazing the um, the tax wrangling doesn't stop over the Christmas, New Year's period. Like th- January, I always assume it's very quiet, but not so. No, there's always <laughs> seems something going on. That blind calls are running hot. Um, all right, thanks again, Michael. That was, as I said, uh, uh, enlightening. And listeners, um, just another reminder to if you're interested in the uh, tax and super discussion groups that we have in place, go to the website. After the uh, end of the year, I'll put a slash discussion groups hash, and that'll take you there to get that information. Um, thanks again. Please join us again next time.